Uh, you can be opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, and uh, tell you what, I enjoyed uh, all that music, and um, I enjoyed Ashland uh, Allred helping lead us this morning uh, on the guitar, um, one of our young people who loves the Lord and is sharing her gift, amen? Now, you may be surprised to know that she's having a birthday next month where she will turn 16, yeah, that's a lot of talent in that young lady, amen? But she's given it to the Lord, and she would be embarrassed to me talk about her because I know that she desires to love the Lord and to let his name be known in, in all the world. Her, her brother is a music student at Liberty right now, I believe. He's still there. Um, he went a couple of years ago, almost, well, a little bit more than a year ago, and uh, so he's staying. We're in Acts today, and uh, I, I'm going to, I said something about Ashlyn because I, I will... Uh, maybe say something about that later, hopefully. Um, sometimes I never know. I go off on a little trail and I miss stuff. But um, today we're, we're talking about a, a, a king, King Herod. And I, I'm calling this sermon, Keep Your Mind on the Mission. Okay? And, uh, it, and it's just a, a lesson because today we have a king that failed to do that. Uh, not that he was ever a Christian, necessarily. Uh, but uh, he forgot what he was supposed to be doing. And he became uh, more focused on himself than anyone else. And so that's going to be the theme of today. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read the scripture text, uh, beginning in verse 20 of chapter 12 of the book of Acts. Uh, if you're our guest today, my name is Stuart McCarter. I'm lead pastor here at the church. And um, we're in a ser series through the book of Acts. So uh, we're just, we've come to this uh, part and... Uh, Here's what it says, beginning in verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on the ro uh, his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, the very nature of this uh, book we're studying uh, that is action-oriented, that you've called us to action. You've called us to, to believe, first of all, and to understand our belief and, and the doctrines that, that uh, form our belief. But, Lord, then beyond that, we're supposed to act. We're supposed to go out and do. But, Lord, these are not the acts of these men. These are the acts of the Holy Spirit through these men. And may we get that picture. May we understand that clearly and, and, and beautifully so that we might be yielded and used by you uh, for your glory and for your sake, in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. Y'all, y'all can sit down. I, I don't know about you, and if, if you're if if you're much younger than me, you you don't even have a necessary concept of the names I use, but maybe the idea. I I can just remember as a little boy before I ever started going to school, uh, my dad would go off to work, and I'd be home alone with my mom. My sister was in school, and uh, and I would be watching that black and white TV. I guess she was cleaning up breakfast, doing stuff, and and I'd be watching. Gene Autry, or, or Roy Rogers, or, or Wagon Train, Rawhide, right? 
Yeah, I, I, I love those, those shows. And, and, and I still love that kind of drama, you know, where the good guy gets the bad guy. And, and, uh, and, and, and in TV and movies and books and things, uh, fictional characters, the good guy, it's always this hero and everything goes uh, really well. And I love the drama of what's happening. And, and, and that goes out into sports. That's why we like sports, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen and there's drama. And, and we love a close game unless it's your team beating the fool out of the other team. And then you're pretty happy. But a close game is exciting for everyone. And who's going to win? And there's all this drama involved. And I know there's a lot of fans here today of a particular team that made it into the final four. Bunch of UVA people, in case you hadn't heard the news, that they're in the final four. Uh, Dean Jones here at the church, he emailed me and said, Hey, uh, I'm going to do a, a March Madness bracket and inviting you to join. And I said, I emailed him back and said, Dude, I, I don't keep up. I don't know anything about college basketball. I mean, I know these schools have basketball. I haven't even watched a game in years. And I, I, my favorite team in football, I barely keep up with, but I keep up with them some. But... He wrote back and said, don't worry, none of us, you know, it's no big deal. We just, it's just for fun. He goes, I don't either, it's just for fun. Well, I'm number one <laughs> in that bracket. Out of 20 guys, I guess the best, all right? Because uh, I just guessed. I was like, hmm, that sounds good, click. Uh, so, uh, so, but we love the drama, but what I don't like is a drama queen. Y'all know what a drama queen is? That's somebody the world revolves around them. They think out of 7 billion people, they're the most important person in the world. And the drama that they generate Drives me nuts, okay? I just don't buy that well. And, and, and yet there are people like that. It's like everything's like, oh, it's so horrible. And it's always about them and how bad things are and all that. Well, I think Herod's a drama queen, personally. And, and this text, I get these hints that he really was. That, that, you know, it takes a narcissistic person to be a drama queen. Because, like I said, they, they think the world revolves around them. And you got to think you're the most important person in the world to, to, to think that anybody even cares, you know? Uh, when you're young, you think everybody's watching you, and you get older, you realize nobody even knew you were there. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's like we, we live this life, like, don't do that. Don't. Who's watching? They're not, it, it just really, the, that doesn't happen. But we get so caught up in our own world and our own things that we forget, and, and you may have seen it, that it's God who's always going to have the victory. God is the center of the universe. God is the one that we should be pleasing. God is number one in everything and every person, whether they acknowledge him or not. God's going to have the victory. Now, in having a victory, there's always a battle, right? It, it, you, you, a victory without a battle is, is lessened. I'll just put it that way. We, we want to have this controversy and the battle in the victory because it makes it sweeter. It makes it worth more but sometimes as we're battling whether it be in sports or some other arena sometimes we lose a battle and that hurts us but the the ones who ultimately win get up from their loss learn from it and overcome right they adapt and overcome when they're losing when they've made a mistake when something goes wrong and god never makes mistakes it's always he's always in victory, and he will have the ultimate victory, even if the battle looks like we're losing right now. You know, we're all excited about Jesus coming back one day. Some of us may not want him to come back too quick, but, but we are excited about it. But I think we fail to remember as Christians, it ain't going to get better before he comes. It's only going to get worse. In fact, in Revelation, John is looking at heaven, he sees all these multitudes of people worshiping God, 
And, and they're praising God. And the angel asked John, you know who those are? And John goes, I don't know. you got to tell me. And he said, these are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation whose robes have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb who love not their life unto the death. And for the testimony of the Lamb of God, they gave their life for Christ. You see, it's going to get dark before Jesus comes back. It's going to get real dark. And we get upset, you know, over the temperature in the auditorium, the color of the carpet, you know, whether somebody spoke to me today. We get all, we're drama queens, right? And, and we're all guilty of that. Don't, don't sit there like, oh, I'm never that way. Well, you just proved you were, okay? Uh, we, we, we all are, you know. We, we all make these kind of decision errors. And Herod maybe was one of the worst ones ever because he failed to acknowledge God. You see, whether it seems like we're winning the battle or it seems like we're losing the battle, we ought to be giving glory to God. Even in our loss, God can be glorified. Remember what Joseph said when his brother said, don't kill us. He goes, dude, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To save my family, to save this nation. So that if God put Joseph in control in Egypt, but look at the path he had to take. Being beat up by his brothers, being made a prisoner, being sold into slavery, uh, as a good servant to his master, being falsely accused, thrown into prison, languishing in an Egyptian prison, until one day God exalts him, and in one day he went from prison to second in charge of the entire country, and he planned it out so that there would be enough food during a time of famine to help his family survive so that we would have the nation of Israel. And Joseph... I don't know how he maintained through all that, but at the end he could look back and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and who am I to stand away? God be your judge. God did this. And sometimes in our most difficult times, we, it's hard to do, but we've got to take a step back and go, wait a minute, God's got a greater plan here than I can see. Because the one thing I do know is ultimately God wins. Every time. And if my life is spent as a life of sorrow, think about Job in the Bible. He lost everything. Except his wife, which he probably wished he'd have lost, because she's over there, why don't you curse God and die? You know, what a joy to live with her, you know. And Job says, I came naked into the world, naked I'm going to leave, God gives, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, I will not curse God. And so, sometimes as Christians in our pride, we think, we're the ones that's got it together. We, 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 when we try to do things in our own strength, our own plans, our own way of doing things, and we think we got this thing handled, we, create, we commit idolatry and blasphemy at the same time. I, I speak as a Baptist here. You may not be a Baptist, but Southern Baptists, we're notorious. We got a plan, a program, and a curriculum for everything, okay? So if there's a problem, we got, we got a solution. You know, we, we're, we're prescription writers. Like, here, do this study. You'll be fine. And... and and when you, sometimes it makes it where it leads us into to thinking our program is the answer. And then we ask God to bless our program. Well, when our program's the answer, that's idolatry. And we ask God to bless it, that's blasphemy. Instead, we ought to be going to God and saying, God, here's the trouble. Here's the problem that you've given us so we could depend on you, so we could call on your name. What's your answer? And then following the will of God. That would be a, a much better plan. Amen. By the way, well, Herod, he's been, he's been stifled by God already. If you remember last week, if you weren't here, let me give you a quick rundown. In chapter 12, leading up to these verses, Herod, he was a, an unstable king anyway. He was unsure of things. 
And he had to get the favor of the Jewish people. And he starts noticing that the church is different from the Jewish religion. He, he's seeing this break coming. And he capitalized on it. He captures James of James, John, and Peter, the three of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And he puts James to death. Now, it's only about 20 years since Jesus was resurrected. And you would think that God would have let him live a long, long, long life, but he didn't. And he's martyred, and the Jewish people were happy about it. They're excited when it says Jewish people is the leaders. They're so excited that the king had put to death one of the leaders of the opposition, the Christians, in their viewpoint. And so he said, oh, you like that? Well, let me grab the leader. And he grabs Peter and puts him in prison. And last week we talked about how God miraculously delivered Peter from prison. And it ends up where at the end of that passage in verse 19, Herod's had enough, so he goes off kind of on a vacation. He just, he just leaves to go somewhere else. And we pick up this story in verse 20 of chapter 12. And it says this, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now, you can't see my notes. I, I just gave you the big notes, but I write stuff the way I think, and then sometimes I clean it up and let you see it, and sometimes I leave it the way I write it. Because my next thing on here says, Herod, uh, Herod picks uh, on a new victim, and Herod gets angry with Tyre and Sidon. And they are dependent, as we read in this verse, they are dependent on Rome for their food. And they have been for about... 60 years. For about 60 years, they've been dependent on the government to feed them. And now the government's mad at them. So what do you do? Well, the text says that they persuade Blastus, the king's chamberlain. Now, a chamberlain is the butler in his bedroom. This is the guy that dresses him, I guess draws his bath. I don't know what all they would do. But this guy is very intimately acquainted with Herod and very trusted. So they said, well, let's make friends with his Chamberlain and get him to talk to him for us. You got to kind of read between the lines to fill this all out. The Bible gives us enough detail, you get it. But they make friends with the Chamberlain and they ask, say, ask him for peace from us. That, hey, we want to have peace with the king because they depended on him for their food, it goes on to say. So in verse 2, obviously, the king says, I tell you what, let me come down there and make a speech. <laughs> He's a politician. Let me make a speech. And, uh, and, and they can honor me and all that, and, and we'll see. You know, that's kind of how I, I see what happened. Because the Bible just goes into, and so on the day appointed, he comes in to make a speech. So obviously they had worked out this day. They, they had come up with some agreement. And, and in this, Herod is going to get false flattery from the people. And, and hear what it says, and then let me help, uh, help you with some stuff. It says, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Now, my wife tells me that I like to talk a lot because I love to hear myself talk. And that, that's not true, but I don't know why I like to talk a lot, but I do. But a politician is willing to tell you anything, anytime, anywhere, anyhow, right? That's just the nature of it. And they have to do that. They have to communicate. They have to communicate well. If you're not a good communicator, uh, you, you, a, lot, a lot of luck being a good politician because you've got to be able to communicate. That's just part of it. And, and so Herod's going to make this big speech, and it says he put on his royal robes. Now, obviously that sounds like finery, and it is, but there's a historian from this time period named Josephus, and Josephus lets us in on what he put on. Jo Josephus records this event. And Josephus tells us that what he put on was covered in silver. 
Now, number one, that shows wealth, but there was a reason he did that. He walks out to give a speech, and it's an outdoor arena, and the sun hitting that silver, it shines off of him. He's trying to impress them with his glory, right? Now, there is a, there is a spiritual principle there that actually, in the same way, we ought to be that. We ought to be reflecting God's glory, right? Now, Herod's doing it for a selfish reason. He's trying to pretend like he's putting off all that light. But he's got to wear a mirror to do it. You know, he's wearing a silver mirror, basically, to, to do that. You know, when we went to the moon, you know what? I skipped a whole bunch of stuff here, didn't I? Uh, I just realized when we went to the moon, there was a big controversy. And I'll go, I'll go back and grab it. There it is. Uh, the crew of Apollo 1 while circling the moon read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I, I, I'm not sure about a lot of stuff about that, but I have read that they weren't sure what they were going to do, they, they kind of kept it secret, and they probably didn't want them to do this. Because they are achieving, man has done this. And they read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is there a circle of the moon? Well, when we finally landed on the moon about six, seven months later, a uh, day before my birthday, I was fascinated by all this. I was nine, ten years old when this happened. I was so excited about it. And, and th there was a, what will we find? What is the moon made of? What is it like? We had conjecture, we had ideas, but we weren't sure. One of the things they were actually worried about was they know how much dust, cosmic dust, hits the atmosphere every year on, in the world. So it stands to reason the same amount of cosmic dust hits the moon. If it does and evolution is true and matter is eternal or at least billions and billions and billions of years old, there ought to have been about 20 feet of dust when the lunar module hit the, hit the moon. It should have sunk into dust. It landed in an eighth of an inch of dust. You can look at Armstrong's footprint. Just Google it, an eighth of an inch, because the moon's no more than 10,000 years old. But nobody tells you that stuff, right? Uh, the other two things that I had up there, the very first radio broadcast, by the way, uh, yeah, there it is, Reginald Fessenden, he invented radio, AM radio, uh, uh, medium wave. And the first thing that was ever said over the radio was reading of Luke 2, which says, glory to God in the highest. The very first Morris code sent by Samuel Morris was, what hath God brought? Making no credit for themselves, giving glory to God, and those Apollo 8 astronauts circling the moon said, in the beginning, God created. Well, here it comes out, he tries to re reflect glory, make it look like it's his own. And what I was going to tell you about the moon, when they got landed on the moon, they found out it was made up of a bunch of rocks, that are all reflective, and the surface of the moon is rough, it's not smooth. Just like back in the day before HID headlights, your headlights on your car had lines in them because the light in the, they, the bulb was dull and they needed to make it shine brighter, so it was rough. The moon is a giant reflector of the sun so that we'd have light at night and we could see at night by the moon. You say you can't see at night. Yeah, you can. If the moon's full, you certainly can on a cloudless night. I was driving with Janice one time when Savannah, our oldest, will be 30 this year. She was in the back seat, and, and, and we never lived out in the country before. We'd always been around street lights, and there were no street lights, and the moon was full. I said, honey, look at this. You can turn off your lights and see. There's no other cars on the road. I turn off my lights, and you could see the road. And I pulled the light switch back on. There's a buck standing right in front of my... Whoa, man, I hit the brake, and he jumped. Thankfully, he jumped. I barely missed him, but I never did that again. I can tell you that. 
The moon was a, is a giant reflector of the sun, and that's what we're called to be, reflectors of the Son of God. The glory that, and what happens is when God uses us and something happens, we want to start taking glory for it, right? We want to put on those silver garments and pretend like that's us. No, that's just the sun God created hitting something you made and you put on. And that have anything to do with Herod, but he's trying to fool him. And, th- and it says, so he comes in, he sits on his throne. Man, I can just see this guy coming in like, yeah, I'm the big shot. Look at me, man. I'm all full of shiny. And I'm going to sit on this big old throne, and I'm going to talk to you people. And so he sits down, and he starts giving a speech. They sat down to speak back then. They didn't stand up like I do. Uh, but back then, they used to sit down. If you don't believe me, read about Jesus reading the book of Isaiah. When he turned 30, went to the, to the, uh, uh, the what do you call it, synagogue. And they said, hey, you're a rabbi, why don't you teach? So he said, all right, give me a scroll of Isaiah. And he opened it up and he read the prophecy about himself. And it says he closed the scroll and he sat down and began to teach. Because they always sat down to teach back then. So anyway, he comes in, he sits on this throne, and he delivers a speech to them. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never, I've heard, I won't say never. I've heard very few political speeches that actually inspired me. Usually it's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, you know. Because number one, I don't believe half what they're saying. And that's a, that's a generous number. And, and then secondly, it's usually kind of boring, right? So this guy's talking, and this just doesn't make sense to me. They all say, it's the voice of a God, not of a man. <laughs> well, of course, they're just shining him on. Y'all know what shining on means? Shining on means to, to like tell you what you want to hear so you leave me alone. That's something you need to remember if you ever tell anybody about Jesus, because they know enough to tell you what you want to hear. Now, I just look at them and say, listen, you'll get rid of me quicker if you just be honest with me, because I want you to be honest. If you just tell me you don't want to hear it, I'll walk away. Because you can go to hell without Jesus, that's up to you, but I'm here to tell you about Jesus, you know. And I've had them say, well, thanks for being honest. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. I'm like, okay, and I, well, I'm going to pray for you, and I'll give them a track or something, but I'll walk away, because what's the point? Don't cast your pearls before swine. I, I want to tell them about Christ, but they don't want to hear it. Well, these guys are shining Herod on. They're, they're just like, oh you're, oh, you're a God. You're great. And Herod is soaking that up. Vance Abner said, a man will listen to his praise will run from his criticism. Do you know that? Because maybe you did something somebody ought to applaud. And there's nothing wrong with that. But don't believe that. That'll make you great. It means God used you, Right? And when you fail, that just means God's teaching you something and there's something to rejoice in. Hey, I failed. God's going to teach me something here. Right? And we give glory to God. God, thank you for loving me enough to teach me something. You get the glory. Thank you for using me to do something good. You get the glory. He always gets the glory. always wins the victory. But Herod doesn't catch that, so he absorbs all this praise. And verse 23 says, Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Wow. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I want you to know, this verse has troubled me, but I want to start in the middle first. He was struck down because he did not give God the glory. And what does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for any church? That starts thinking they're more important than God's mission in this world. And what is God's mission? To lead everyone in this world to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And to disciple them or teach them how to look like Jesus in this world. That is the mission of the church. 
And when you take your mind off that and you think your preference is more important than God's mission, you're getting in trouble. When the temperature's not right or the color of the carpet's not right or you don't like the song we're singing and you go, ah, I just don't like all that. Then you're acting like Herod. Because he was all mad. He pitched a hissy fit. He got mad at the people in Tyre and Sidon. The Bible doesn't tell us what he's mad about. It could have been something important, something real. But the way they reacted, I think he just was mad and he just decided to take it out on them. So they want to appease him. They want to make him happy. If you don't know what a hissy fit is, that's when mama's had enough. That's a hissy fit. Okay, that's what, that's, man. Or when a little spoiled brat throws a temp, temper tantrum. That's a hissy fit as well. A mom's not throwing a hissy fit, or not a temper tantrum. She just, she just had enough. She's, she's been controlling herself up to now. You ought to be proud of her how long she didn't kill you. But verse 23, this angel strikes him down immediately because he did not give God the glory. That is a, that's a phrase we ought to just stick in our mind. Because it's so important that we do that. And then it says, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now, this always troubled me. Number one, I just wondered what that was like. I mean, I got an imagination. And when I was a kid and I first heard this, I was like, ooh. You know, he fell down and then just worms ate him like, you know, a National Geographic special. Piranhas eating a cow or something. You know, it's just like a few minutes, he's gone. That's not what, how it actually worked out. Josephus, back to the historian, he lets us know that he lingered for five days before he actually died. But while he was talking and the people were saying it's the voice of a God, he fell down. And everybody knew there was a problem. He, he, he passed out, fell out, he's done. And they knew something was going on. Well, we know now probably what happened. And I, I'm going to share this with you. And let me warn you, it might sound a little gross. So I wonder what this eaten by worms means. Well... A, a person, Dr. Gene Sloan Morton, this was published by Moody Press, lets us understand what happened. There's Greek word here for worms. Now, I know this is a detail. It's like, we don't need to know all this, but I think you do, so I'm going to tell you. All right. This Greek word, it, it, it's a long word. I'm going to try to say it, and, and, and forgive me if I mispronounce it, um, but it's skola cabrotis. And what it means the, 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 pref the, the root word is scolex, S-C-O-L-E-X, which means the specific head structure of a tapeworm. So he's eaten by tapeworms is where I'm, where I'm going with this, probably. And let me explain. The most common tapeworm in a sheep-growing area is a long Latin name I can't even start to pronounce. So I'll show it to you later if you want to see it. It's not that important, really. And the way this tapeworm works, and the, the way a human would get a tapeworm, especially then, is these sheep would have the tapeworm, and of course they are um, uh, vacating the waste product of their food. And so the tapeworm might be in that, and a dog would come and eat, and then the dog's got the tapeworm, and then when he eliminates his waste, some of that sticks to their hair. And then you pet the dog, and then you get the tapeworm. Because you didn't wash your hands and you touch your face or something and it goes in and you're done. Because they, they're not that big when they get started, when they're little whatevers. But when a tapeworm gets into the human body, this is what it does. It creates a cyst on the right side of the liver. If you think I'm making all this up, you can Google it, okay? 
I read this, I read this in a book, then I Googled it just to confirm, and yep, I, it was all just like it said. And so it creates a cyst on the right lo- lower lobe of your liver. It's a cyst. You know what a cyst is? It's a pocket of nasty. That's, that's, that's Stuart science right there. <laughs> pocket of nasty. And it gets finally big enough that it ruptures inside the body. When the cyst ruptures, there's enough there that aren't worms that it will likely kill you. It did not immediately kill Herod, but it knocked him down. Guess how many worms come out of that cyst? Two million tapeworms. So he's up there talking, wearing his silver, and poof, the cyst burst, and he's got two million tapeworms going to town inside his body. Now let me tell you something else, a couple more things interesting about this worm. It's also the term used in Mark 9, 44, where Jesus said, Don't fear him who can destroy the body, but after that can do nothing. But fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Kind of interesting, it says the worm. How come the worm doesn't die in the fire? Well, number one, it's probably a super worm God made. But can you imagine being eaten by tapeworms for eternity? You thought the fire was bad. That's just the icing on the cake. Because let me tell you something about this particular tapeworm. It's a sectioned worm. It has sections. Each section has male and female parts. So if you take the tapeworm, well, I'm going to cut it up, and you cut it up into those sections, each section begins to reproduce itself. And the tail section of it forms hundreds of new eggs. Herod's an important man, isn't he? He's done killed James, arrested Peter. Well, I got full, but that's all right. I'll come back. Now I'm mad at Tyronside, and I got him begging on my feet. I'm going to wear silver. Show him who I am. I'm the king. You better listen to me. I'm still on my throne. I'm going to tell you what's what. And everybody goes, oh, it's a voice of a God. And God goes, oh, yeah? I'm going to make a worm will take you out, dude. Boom, and a worm kills him. And for five days, these tapeworms just eating his body until he finally dies. Where are you now, king? I did an interview of a businessman in the last city I lived in for a project. And uh, he's a Christian man, a very successful businessman in Suffolk. And... I don't remember the question I asked him, but he said, when it gets real busy and when I think I'm not sure what to do and, like, I'm in charge of all this stuff, he said, his office was just down the street from a graveyard. He says, I tell my secretary, I'll be right back. He said, I go out, I walk up to the cemetery, and I walk up and down those rows of graves, and I read the tombstones of all those indispensable people. And then when I get my head right, I come back. Friend, we're all going to die. You're not indispensable. God's not going to keep you alive forever because you're that important. But how you die might make a difference. I guarantee you when James was martyred, there was a reception in heaven that you could not believe. Them cheering. I mean, Stephen's up there like, James, my brother. Wow, you're the first apostle to be killed for Christ. Man, I love you. You taught me so much as I was growing up in the faith, and you were one of those guys. And the angels are rejoicing and Jesus himself is serving him as he died for the cause of Christ. This king and all his finery dies and gets eaten by tapeworms.
So what is your perspective of yourself? Drama queen? Well, the Bible in its understated way says he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's a well duh. <laughs> yeah, if you're eaten by worms, you're pretty well going to breathe your last. Do you know that's the cause of death of every man? CTB, ceased to breathe. When you quit breathing, you're done. I love how understated and quiet because God is not a drama queen. He's a jealous God. You better give him glory. But he's not a drama queen. And the next verse is so calm in the light of what we just saw. It, it, it's shocking to me. I love how it starts. But it's a glorious but of the Bible. This king who thought he was all important and I'm going to persecute the church. But the word of God increased and multiplied. It kept growing, and wait a minute, it's not just growing, it's multiplying. You know, when you multiply stuff, it goes faster, right? Did you know if three of us in this room would tell three people today something and told them to tell three more people tomorrow that same thing, when inside of a week, everybody in Augusta County would have heard it? You can do the math on that. I'm pretty sure I'm right. You may say, no, it was nine days. Okay, fine. Within two weeks then, how about that? Because I know it goes fast. Three times three, then nine times three... Then 27 times 3, and i got to stop. And it gets quick. The Word of God not only increased, it multiplied. As they told people about Christ. That's just the first verse. Then the next verse says this. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, or their mission. Bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Very calmly, the Bible says, Herod had a mission to destroy the church. And God killed him with a worm. But, oh, Saul and Barnabas, these little, nobody's noticing them. They take all this money to Jerusalem and deliver it to them. And they completed their mission. Herod couldn't complete his mission. He who wanted to persecute the church dies and the church increases and lives on. Do you catch that? Do you see that? And the Bible is just saying, if we follow Christ and we daily walk with him and follow him and we find we seek to do his will above our own will and we desire to follow after him his word will have its way his glory will be shown his mission will get done but we got to keep our mind on the mission so i got some things i tell you by the way this is barnabas and saul and they bring john mark if you remember when Peter got released, he went to Mary's house. Mary obviously had means. Uh, there, was, there, uh, there was a lot of people there. She had a son named John Mark. John Mark is a cousin to Barnabas. They're cousins. And so Barnabas says, hey, John Mark, why don't you go back with us? So they come back. The next chapter, they're going to go on the very first mission trip, these three guys. God is about to explode the church out in missions. Right after Herod got eaten by a worm. I hope you get the contrast God's trying to get you to see here. Oh, you're so important, God take you out with a worm. But when you realize in yourself, hey, I'm not that important, but I want to serve God, God will help you complete the mission he's got for you. That may, it may not be a long one. It may be a short one, but it may be a really long one. James, who was martyred 20 years later, his brother John doesn't die till he's about 100 years old in about the year 100. I mean, he's... He's a long time before he dies. So you don't know what God's got for you. 
But here's some things you could do this week. First of all, never put your faith in a person. Never put your faith in a person. Listen, I can guarantee you I'm going to mess up. Okay? I'm going to fail you. I can, I can guarantee it. I don't want to fail you. I hate failing you. I don't ever want to fail you. But there's a couple reasons I know I will. Number one, I'm human. Number two, I failed before. So I'm capable of it, and I know that. And I'm likely to do it again. But when you fail, you go, that was not good, and you repent if it's sin. If it's not sin, you, you might not have to repent, but you ought to learn from it either way. And then say, I'm not going to do that again, and you go on and you do better. So don't put your faith in a man because they will fail you. I don't care who they are. There have been a lot of celebrities, a lot of heroes, a lot of pastors in the past year or two that have failed and failed the people that followed them. That just happens. Not to accept it, just saying it does. But when we put our faith in a person, that person's going to fail because they're fallible. They're people. They, they will die if nothing else. Secondly, give glory to God. Make sure you give glory to God. This week, look at somebody and say, man, I just want to give glory to God. Why? I got up this morning. He gave me a new opportunity. I, I used to go to school with an African-American gentleman named William Polite. I'll never forget William Polite. I always loved it when they asked him to close in prayer. Because he would pray, man, pray like I never heard anybody pray. I just loved the words he used. But I liked it when he said, Lord, thank you for reaching down this morning with your hand of love. And touching me. And causing my eyes to fly open to behold a day what I have never seen before and what I ain't never going to see again. Friend, every day you wake up is the day to glorify God. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice. Be glad in it. Amen? I love coming inside out of the rain or a storm and somebody say something. I go, man, it's a great day, isn't it? What do you mean? It's horrible outside. Yeah, but this is the day God made. We can rejoice and be glad in it. Every day, God's got a purpose and a reason. So give glory to God. Uh, that's just, just giving glory. You woke up this here. If you die, give glory to him that you got to go to heaven. That's what Paul said. To live as Christ, to die is gain. So whatever. <laughs> I'm good either way. Because if I'm alive, I'm going to give glory to God. If I die, I'm going to be with God. So I'm good. And when you start living with that perspective, it's easy to give glory to God. Remember, you're supposed to reflect Christ. And the third thing I'd say is keep your mind on the mission. Keep your mind on our mission. I mentioned some different kinds of people earlier that, that have to complete missions. I, I, in sports, I, I can tell you my favorite thing to watch on a, watching a football game. And it's a receiver catching a pass. Because unless, in a very few cases, does a receiver catch a pass where there's not a guy there about to hit him. All right? So some of my favorite, and I've got a picture of one in my office, you want to see it. But, but one of my favorite times is to watch this guy going up to catch a football thrown to him. And out of, just coming into the picture, you see a guy coming 100% full bore, going to hit that guy as hard as he can, and trust me, it's going to hurt to get him to either miss the ball or drop the ball. And that receiver's going up, and he never looks at that guy. He keeps his eyes on the ball, and he catches it, and he tucks it away and makes sure he's protecting it, knowing he's about to get hurt. And then he gets hit. Boom! And down he goes, but he doesn't drop the ball. I love seeing that. I love, when I'm playing, I love being the guy who hit the guy, okay? I don't want to get hit, I want to hit. But I love seeing that. 
I, I marvel at the military guys who in the heat of a battle, fighting alongside their brothers, get shot. And that knocks them down or they, they're wounded. And they call out, I'm still in the fight. And they pick their gun up and they keep fighting. Because they're in the fight and the mission is to fight until we're dead. And they keep their mind on the mission and not on their wound. I think of these heroes in the Bible under persecution, martyrdom. Hebrews 11 gives a list of them and says, And some of them were sawn in half and tortured and wandered about in the wilderness without food or clothing or shelter. Instead of never receiving the promise, but never taking their mind off the mission. And then the next chapter says, So we run our race, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him despised the shame, endured the cross, and is set down at the right hand of the Father on high. He kept his mind on the mission. And he calls us to do the same thing. Don't be a drama queen like Herod. Be a follower of Jesus Christ who kept his mind on the mission.